General, yeah. I, I think I think everything has to begin with uh, with hookers and whores. What's the term? What's the term for? Uh, what's the term for uh, the streetwalkers? Not the streetwalkers. The lounge lizards. Oh, the lot lizards. The, the lot, lot lizards you're referring to. Yeah, yeah lot lizards. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you don't. You I've don't, had a few. You don't encounters. see that. You don't I've see that on the road in the bike tour. You never. You never. I've never. I've never seen a lot lizard. That's that's the po- <laughs> that's the whole point of of seeing the open roads. Um, well, you, know that- you you don't see a lot of lot lizards at truck stops anymore either. It, that's been cleaned up from a lot of trucking. But however. There are, uh, there still are some in uh, California. There, there's California is nasty on uh, on uh, I five, which is the interstate that runs north south in California up the west coast. Uh, there are a lot of just nasty truck stops. I mean, you'll you'll get woken up some some toothless, shoeless lot lizard, just nasty looking, be banging on your door. You know, if if you uh, if you if you do enough cycling. Uh... When I when I lived in Denver, I would go, you know, even when I lived in Bloomington, um, I would go on these these shorter trips, and and they were they were European trips. I I know you're going to have a lot to say about European trips. I, at least I want to ask you, but but before asking you, I remember cycling out of Barcelona. Um, I remember my bicycle was missing for three days. Uh, I was waiting for it. They eventually shipped it to me. Somehow the airlines lost it. And as I was cycling out of Barcelona through a park, um, there is, I think prostitution is legal there. And there were a lot of, um, I can't call them woman of the night because this is during the daytime. And all these taxi drivers would, would be pulling up to these these women wearing mini skirts and, and tube tops. But um, the, as you, as you were, as I was cycling out of the city, I noticed that the, Ones that were closest to the city were the, were the prettier European hookers. And then as you got further out, they were more uh, immigrants from, from different countries. And uh, this one hooker uh, pulled up her skirt. She wasn't wearing any uh, panties. And uh, I just remember I just remember seeing her vagina as I was cycling out of Barcelona. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow, and, that's uh, a good. That's a good Barcelona. I, I don't know. Oh, and it was for you. I don't. I don't. I don't know. The presentation. Yeah, she made the presentation because it, it it must have been just a very friendly thing to do because I can't imagine. It was that, a welcoming gesture. It was I, a welcoming gesture. I can't imagine how this this prostitute expected me to stop on my touring bike with my saddlebags. Like, w- w- would she get on? Um, you know, given that she was wearing a mini skirt without any panties, you know, would she be comfortable in the saddle? Um, I mean, I, I, I didn't, yeah, obviously, you, you, I, did, I didn't, clearly, wanna, I didn't, I'm thinking about this now. I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but you're so, very concerned with her welfare. I, well, you know, I, I, I was, I was, af- I was afraid she, I, I literally was afraid she was going to accost me. Um, and and she she really wasn't my type. We really didn't have the chemistry. Now maybe had I got to know her better, there could have been a chemistry. But uh, I think well, right after I passed her, a, a, a cab driver stopped and she got in the car. Uh, I, I think they're probably out there for the cab drivers. I would I would imagine. Like cab, drivers, cabbies always have money. Cabbies always money. have cash. Well, and truck drivers too. Truck drivers to have money. 
they're mon- they're known they're known to be lonely and they're known to have money. You know, at, at truck driving school, I was taught what to say to lot, lot lizards if you're approached. I mean, you could always say yes if you're needy, but if you're not interested, you you're not supposed to turn them down or to be mean to them because a lot of them know how to handle themselves around trucks. They might cut your uh, your airlines. They could do something bad to you. So you're supposed to say to them. Uh, Mama, I, I just got on the road. I'm all right. Uh, I'll catch you when I get back or something like that. That way you, you show interest and they're not going to damage your truck. Wait, wait. So and, so uh, it's, it's mama. I'm going to write this down. Mama, I just got off the road or I'm just getting on the road? No, on the road. That On the road, meaning you've just been home. Just been home with your uh, your old lady. And so you've... you've uh, You've you got you got to wet your uh, you got to wet your uh, dick a little bit. You got to poke, and you're not you're not in need. Okay, so let me get this straight. So I say this. I say, Mama, I just wet my dick with my old lady. No, no, th- no. You don't say no. Thank you. That sounds no, 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 no. Say, Mama, I just got back on the road. I'm all right. Oh, uh, you just say, Mama, I just got back on the road. I'm all right. Okay. This is a, this yeah. is this is what Scott would call a hidden transcript. It is a hidden transcript. It's uh, it's local practices, and it's communicating a lot of information right there. A lot of information. It's not saying no, and it's it's establishing a potential business relationship and a, tra- a future transaction. And that's what you always want to leave these these uh, these women of the night hopeful for. You know, except I, uh, some of them I, are I, desperate. I I, desperate. I, w- I wanted to get back. This is this is this is actually. Um... That the, the 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 lot lizards that that's important. We can maybe revisit this, but um, I uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts about Europe because um, it was I think back in two thousand nine, you had made some comments uh, or you had you had written something about the value of 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 Europe. You you had seen some photos. Uh, you, you had lived in Europe yourself, but you had seen photos of my trip. And this is a time when uh, you were you were you were thinking about the West, and you were thinking about a way to get outside of the West or do something. I how, how did you decide to get back into bike touring after taking such a hiatus? Oh well, bike tu- bike touring is what you do when you're uh, you got nothing left, and you you need to. Uh... I don't know when you when 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 things go when things go bad or you, you're confused uh, or you, you just don't have a lot of a firm direction. A bike tour, a bike tour set things right. It'll it'll it it's just you you know because a lot of a lot of the a lot of the issues a lot of the issues people have are are with are with a lack of movement. If you have movement and you can fatigue the body, you can wear out the mind and wear out some of the mind's uh, problems with with the with whatever's going on. And it, it it gets the mind tired and it gets the body tired, and it 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 just it just feels great. And the the constant stimuli of a ride, it, I mean, all the time you're seeing new stuff. You're never backtracking. I mean, that's the, that's the that's the reason behind doing an open ended bike tour as opposed to like a loop and having to go back. But and having a date, you got to be somewhere. Okay, I, I uh, the open ended ones. Yeah. Okay. O- the, okay, but but more more specifically, you had said, and 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 this was something that I I. I didn't understand. It wasn't that I didn't agree with it, but I, I didn't understand. I thought you were lashing out, and 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 now I realize that by your 
basically trashing Europe. I mean, all I was doing was going, I was going, I was going to Portugal. I was going to Spain. I did, uh, I did France, uh, retracing some of our, uh, of the route in, uh, on the way to Nice, the first bike trip I, I ever did outside of the country when I was 22, um, back in 1997, I think, um, <laughs> That wait, we should we should go, we should go back and talk about that because that is that was a legendary time. Uh, that is a, that's that's something that only young men young men could do. I mean, you and I would never go about it in the same way again. Probably also, it's something that was made possible because it was pre-internet and you had very little information about what you were doing. It was also pre-bike touring craze, where as Americans we couldn't really get much gear. We didn't really know what we, we had to do. I mean, it was just a chore trying to get maps. We couldn't get maps. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. There were some uh, good. There were some good French. The French have good maps. There were there were oh, there were decent. The French are the best. The best ones. They have like a hundred map or a hundred something maps for all the different regions, and you buy one after the other as you traveled. It, I mean, beautiful maps. The Michelin series, but, but so detailed. But the. Uh... I, I have, I have, but I have, at that I have, time, but, but at that time, don't you remember the whole story that, that you came to media Pennsylvania and, uh, you brought your bike, you, you drove in the grand marquee, this, this beautiful big grand marquee. And, uh, it was a fine, it was a fine car. The, park. The, the brakes didn't work very well, but it, was, the, it was a fine car. <laughs> it was. You slept in the park in media and you got rousted. You got rousted. I don't know why you didn't sleep in my apartment. Why didn't you sleep in my apartment? You didn't have, have an no apartment. Why? You didn't have an apartment at the time. Oh. You you, oh, you I left my apartment. You had left your apartment, and then you then you then you crashed at my place over the summer. And then when you went back for your bicycle or to see your then girlfriend, oh. you lived with your girlfriend. I stayed at her place. Yeah. I stayed at her place, didn't I? Yeah. Yes. That's why I didn't have a place for you. All right, all right. Well, so anyway, the police rousted you. And uh, I guess you slept in the car then. I don't know what you did. No, no. Cause so I, I, I lived. I, I, so here, here's how it worked. For five or six days, I lived in the park in Media, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and now I didn't live there during the day. In the morning, I would um, pack up my tent and um, I'd walk across the field and put the, the tent and my gear in my car. And I would shower. They had a, they had a pump, a, a hand pump water pump in this park and I would go on a long run. I was in very good shape. I'd go on a long run and then I'd shower. Um, I just would wear my running shorts and I would shower just in my running shorts because I was outside a park. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, denude myself and, and that worked fine. But on the last night, this is, this is the night, um, before we, we, we left on the, on the plane flight. Um, I, uh, was sleeping in my tent and I see this car driving across the field, and um, it was very strange because I saw these. I saw the. I saw the headlights coming, and 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 there was a, a an officer of the law uh, from Media, Pennsylvania, and uh, he was very very stern. He asked Wait, me, "Where did you have your? Uh, where did you have your tent? Were you was your tent hidden or were you?" My, my tent open? was all the way the hell back. Here's how he found me, uh, and I was wondering how the hell he found me. He 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 kept seeing my car every night. And, um, oh. and, and he thought there, 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 there may be, there may well be tomfoolery or riffraff, 
And and he went in search of this tomfoolery, and some, he found some, uh, me some grab ass, some grab some ass grab going ass. on at a park. And and but but in fact there there was there was neither grab ass nor nor tomfoolery, nor riffraff. And uh, he he asked me if I uh, was in possession of narcotics. He used the term narcotics, and uh, <laughs> very technical. Yeah. I told him I told him I said no, I, I don't have narcotics, um, but I'm going to Europe tomorrow. I was very excited, and he and he said I, I don't care. And I, I was I was a bit taken aback because I really wanted to tell him about my trip and I thought he would say, yeah, you look like a great young man and you, you seem like a good person and you have a shaved head. And uh, so obviously a person with a shaved head who's sleeping in a tent, very well organized tent, uh, you know, I, I thought he was just going to let me be. But he but he told me to pack up and, and then I had to go to a motel at like 2 a.m. Uh. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't get much sleep, and I had to, I had to pack everything um, that 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 morning, and uh, and got got everything in the car, and then um, you know this was the time this was the time before we had cell phones too I think so I don't even know how we got in touch with each other right oh, yeah you I, I called you I called you from the motel and I told you I'd got roused from the from the park, and then uh and then I drove I drove to uh, to your your girlfriend's house. And uh, we drove to Newark Airport. We had a uh, hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're skipping. You're skipping that. You're skipping. You're skipping how it happened. We had. You came over and we broke down your bicycle and we put it in a bike block, a bike box. We broke down my bicycle, but what we realized was is we could not fit both bikes into the trunk. In fact, they didn't even fit into the trunk. We had to push one bike box inside the car across the seats. But unfortunately, it filled up the entire inside of the car, the interior. You couldn't see out the rear and, window. Uh, well, we couldn't, we couldn't see out the rear window. And I had to stick my head out of the driver's side window to drive, partially out. And I couldn't see three quarters of the windshield on your side. So and anyway, there was that bike box there. And your bike box or mine, I don't know which was which, was in the trunk. But it didn't fit in the trunk. But you had like three typewriters. So we used the typewriters and some bungee cords to to to, uh, to wedge and strap down the bike box into the trunk. And so we drove to Newark from Philly uh, with my head out one window and your head out the other, watching uh, out, watching for for cars. I guess I was trying to stay in the right lane the whole time so I could kind of see what was going on. And we drove right up to the terminal. Oh. Uh, and we drove. We literally parked right in front of the terminal at the most expensive parking spot. And because we called, uh, we called the de Blasi guy and we said, Hey man, you want a car? Why don't you come over to the Newark, come over to the terminal, bring a bottle of wine. And, uh, he came over and we had, we were at the gate and we drank wine out of, uh, plastic cups and gave him the car keys. And, uh, we got on the one way ticket to, uh, Brussels. I mean, that's, I mean, it was, it was, it was a great way to start. And his, and his and mother, his mother had scored those tickets with that. That airlines yeah. that only that this it was, was an airline that only lasted for a couple of years. That, that was that was cheap one way ticket to Europe for one hundred fifty dollars. That's a good that's a good price. <clears throat> oh, it was a great price. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but you know this was um, this was my first cycling trip. That trip was that was not your first one though. I remember, I remember in high school with the Hungarian Mieros, you guys had gone on a trip together. Yeah, I think that was your your, your first trip, right? When yeah, my, my my first trip, I was I was seventeen. Um, 
it was, uh, I, I, I don't remember how, how, how I thought about it. I think Mark had been riding his bike in Hungary and then in America. And, uh, I used to, I used to cycle with Mark to Chicago to visit his sister at the Hare Krishna temple. Um, and we used to, I, I think I had the, maybe a, a saddlebag or two and, um, maybe I'd done some cycling with him in, in Wisconsin, but, uh, I, I can't, I can't remember how we decided to go to, to Southern Illinois and we cycled for about seven days. Um, we're treated very, very well. But was it, was it Mark's, uh, was it Mark's idea to go on a bike trip or yours? I mean, did Mark done bike trips? Was I, that the idea? It, 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 it was, it was my idea, uh, to, <clears throat> to go on the bike trip. Um, but Mark had been doing that type of stuff his whole life. I think he would, he, uh, he lived in Seged and I think he would, uh, cycle to another town to visit a girlfriend or some family members. And, um, <clears throat> I don't know if he ever camped yeah, along these, the way, these but poor Hun these poor Hungarians, these poor Hungarians living in that, uh, communist era Hungary, that probably was pretty normal to try and get around on a bike and they weren't able to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, had, he had been doing long distance cycling forever. <clears throat> he, he was, he was a very strong cyclist. Um, but that, that trip, uh, I, I learned a lot. It was very, very hot in Southern Illinois. We, uh, we, we it was a two man tent. <clears throat> we would share a tent and, um, the, uh, it was so hot that, and, and I don't think we, we had a sleeping bag. And so I would, I would just sleep, um, <clears throat> on the, on the surface of the, of the, of the tent floor and it would stick to me and it was uh, yeah, very uncomfortable. It's yeah. Horrible. It was, it was, That's horrible. <clears throat> And, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I had low riders, those, those, those front panniers on, on either side of the front tire I might have. Um, but I had, uh, rather primitive bags. They weren't waterproof. <clears throat> they were nylon. If it, if it were to rain, the water would have gone right through the zippers. I might've actually, but that's all you could get. That's all you could get though. In the U S at that time, bike to bike touring was pretty much unknown, right? There was only, there was only the great Dennis Coelho who, who is, who should be considered the father of bicycle touring in America. Den, I, Den, I, I, Dennis Coelho? I mean, he was, yeah, I don't know how to say his name right, but his, his book, his book, his, one of his books is a classic or it should be a classic. Tu touring on, be, touring on two wheels. Touring on two wheels. Yeah. <clears throat> the whole part about, the whole part about sleeping in the jail and, uh, the two boys, <laughs> he went into the, you remember he went into the jail with his friend, they got rousted or the cops said, well, you sleep in the jail tonight. Yeah. He said, okay. And he went in. And there's some guy in another cell who said, Hey, what are you boys in for? And he said, murder. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they were in high school. They were, they were cycling on cruiser bikes. They were cycling on the old cruiser bikes with coaster brakes. Oh yeah. Is that what he was on? I didn't even with, know. Uh, with jean short, with jean shorts and backpacks. I mean, these guys, they, I mean, they, they were probably, they were probably, they, they were inventing bike touring at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so strange now to think that there was a time when people just kind of did stuff on their own because, and they didn't, they didn't know where to get information. You couldn't get any information. There weren't any books, uh, and there was no internet. So you, you just would kind of put gear together and you have an idea and you figure out how to do it and you, you, you make some stuff and everything is primitive, but but you do know how to fix everything. All these guys knew how to fix everything. I mean, and you and I know how to fix everything. 
But there's and, and Mark, I know, was very good at fixing bikes. Although a lot of his fixes involved uh, bending things, as I remember. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, I, you ever hear the stories about the, the racks breaking in Patagonia or the bolts breaking? What do you mean the stories? I told those stories. Yeah. It happened yeah. to me. <laughs> oh, you had broken racks? I broke my rack uh, in Patagonia. Yes, in the land of fire. Tierra del Fuego. Now, I, it broke the. What happened was, is it. Um, what happened? You know what happened? The screw became. The screw got loose in the eyelet. And uh, I. Uh, it pulled out of the eyelet and uh, shredded the thread. So the thread. The thread was ruined in the eyelet. So the screw wouldn't fit in the eyelet anymore. That's that. So, I mean, it was my stupidity. You got to you got to check you got to check your bolts all the time when you're traveling on repo and and uh, and that rough rough terrain. And I and I wasn't doing it. I just you know, it's like with your truck. You got to do a pre trip and a post trip, and you got to check stuff. Uh, but especially you need to check stuff if you've been on a bike riding on rough terrain. Yeah, I, uh, I, and that's and that's what I, it was negligence. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I told this to these. Uh, I ran into these American. Uh, cyclist, uh, really, really great guys. These guys were uh, riding bicycles on uh, very, very rough Ripio in Mexico, and they were choosing to go off road. And, and they were these cyclocross bikes with narrow tires. And I, I'd only gone ten kilometers in this this deep sand in Ripio, and I had no idea how these guys were doing it. And they uh, they didn't have like cycling shorts. They didn't have. They were just wearing regular clothes. Um, they. They were carrying uh, very, very uh, rat, ratty gear and, 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 and bags and uh, no, no change of clothes or anything like that. These, these, these guys, and they'd, they'd cycled through Death Valley. They, they were doing great things and, uh, and, and really, really, really living off the beaten track in Mexico. Um, but I told them about tightening the bolts. Um, but uh, the, day, the day before, my, my rack had broken. Not, not a bolt, but the rack actually cracked. Uh, I had seen the crack earlier, and I, I had tried to repair it. I knew it was probably going to snap, um, but I, I was able to zip tie. Um, what what broke exactly? What broke exactly on the rack? It was one of the the the, um, the frame arms. Yeah. So so the so the Bike Friday folding rack um, has um, two two arms that um, you join together, and then you you put the bolt the screw. Yeah. The one screw goes. The bolt goes through it. Yeah. yeah. And so if if one of them breaks, you can just zip tie one to the other. And it'll they'll it'll 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 hold together fairly well, so it really it really wasn't an issue and it didn't really compromise it. But at the end of uh, at the end of my trip, as I was uh, disassembling my bike, the bolts were it, it really loose. Um, that plus the fact that the rack was in really really bad shape, um, because this is the rack that survived all all Patagonia and all the salt water in in Tierra del Fuego. Um, so it, it 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 there there was a lot of internal rust in the, in the rack. Um, but uh, so it was, it was. I would bet. I would bet. I would bet my racks. The racks I have uh, are this are similar. They probably, you know, you probably should put some of that. Um, you know, some of that uh, boat. Uh, what is it? Uh, bow shield. Boat. Uh, bow shield. Yeah, yeah. I have a. I have a can. At my parents' house that I used. It's probably still good. Spray it inside the frame. That's really what you should do. Yeah. Well, you you, you really can't use a rack after you've done a trip. Overall, all that all that ripio for for years, 
you, you can't, or, or, or in your case for half a year, um, you, you can't use that rack again. You can use it for commuting, but you can't. That's probably true. It's probably true because look, the, the steel on those racks, I don't think it's the same quality of steel as on the frame of the bike and it's not as thick. So any, any, uh, any rust and deterioration probably is going to lead to failure very quickly. Yeah. Uh, well, well, anyway, anyway, so this Mexico thing, uh, we're, we're jumping around a bit. So, so why Mexico? Why Baja? You went to Baja, right? This, this just happened. Yeah. So the, so Gustavo, um, I, I rode with Gustavo for three and a half weeks in, uh, in Northern Argentina with, uh, Urs, the, the Swiss German and Gustavo, the Mexican. And, uh, camped every night and cooked great meals and had huge bonfires. We would typically drink a, a liter of wine a night in these big, uh, these big liter te- tetra pack liters. Uh, we would, uh, chew coca leaves. Um, Urs had a, an espresso maker, uh, that he would make espresso with every morning. And, uh, we were, uh, we, we called ourselves the, the narco cyclistas. And uh, the, the, the name was <laughs> given. Of the cocoa leaves? The, no, the name was given to us. Um, we were always looking for, for drug. Uh, well, we were always looking for, for ganja. And, and I, think, oh. I think we only found it two or three times. It was just, we were in very remote areas. I think we, we found it a couple times in Mendoza, just, just uh, in <clears throat> the five days we spent there resting. Um, but in any case, we were, uh, we were at a, a campground. Um, in uh, in the in the, in one of the desert towns uh, north of Mendoza, and uh, the interesting thing about the campground is that about 110 <clears throat> uh, activists and protesters descended on the ground campground to camp, and it was a three-day uh, festival protesting the mines there, and um, they <clears throat> they didn't like the mines, they didn't like what it was doing to the water or to the native lands or something. And so we, we made friends with all these people and there was a girl from Buenos Aires and um, we were telling her that we're always, you know, we're, we're cycling across <clears throat> Argentina. We're on our way to Tierra del Fuego <clears throat> and we're looking for drugs. And, and she said, Oh, you're, you're narco cyclistas. And, uh, and we said, Yes, yes, we are. Nosotros estamos, or I guess you'd say somos, narcociclistas. And, uh, and, and so that this is, this is, this is, this is where the term came about. So Gustavo was, was, was one of the original narcociclistas. And, uh, we always were talking about doing another, another ride. And so for the last year and a half, he was talking about doing the, the Ruta, Ruta Maya or, or Baja. I knew nothing about Baja. So I had planned on, on the second to start in Tijuana with him and, and cycle as long as I could, but I, I could only do it for two weeks because of work. Well, at the last minute, uh, some, some project uh, occurred and I, and, I, and I couldn't go, but I told him, look, if, you're gonna cy- if it's going to take you a month to cycle across Baja, I'll find you some way. I'll st- I, I thought I was going to start in Tijuana like, and, get, and bust my way and try to find him, but I ended up... <clears throat> flying all the way to the south, to the to the southern tip of Baja, with the expectation that I'd just catch him, 
maybe just wave to him on the road, maybe not even ride with him, but just I knew that I had to run into him. But I'd, I'd eyeballed a, a loop that would start in Cabo San Lucas, go all the way up to La Paz, maybe to Loreto, and then back down and do a loop. And uh, it, it worked out perfectly because um, I was in La, Los Bariles, Bariles uh, and I got a text from him and he said, I'm 130 kilometers uh, north of you. And I said, I'm 100 and, uh, nor- north of, uh, of La Paz which is a town, which is the capital of Southern Baja. And, uh, and I was 110 kilometers south. <clears throat> and so it gave me great motivation to, to, to meet him and his sister. His sister. He was cycling with his sister. It was her first bike trip. And uh, I, I almost didn't make it because 110 kilometers is, is, a, is a long way to go. And this bike is not very fast. And how much time? Just one, day, time just, one, that, just one day, just one day, just, just one right. day. So flat 110 kilometers, no big deal. Um, it's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. 80 of the kilometers were through the mountains. I didn't, oh. I didn't know. I didn't know because I didn't have a map. Google maps wasn't working. Google maps didn't have topography on my phone. <clears throat> and five kilometers outside of Los Bariles, uh, the mountains began and they were, <laughs> they were brutal mountains. And, uh, and although I, I didn't have any food poisoning or problems with the water in Mexico, um, on this day, either something I ate or something I drank, uh, was destroying me. And I had to stop like five times in the first 10 kilometers in the, in the desert, in this desert mountains. Uh, and I, and I thought I was going to get dehydrated because everything was just, just coming out of me. It was, it was terrible. Um, but, but I, but I made it. I, uh, I just, I just accepted the mountains and, uh, and I accepted that I was probably going to get there very, very late because I was going, uh, nine to 10 kilometers an hour through the mountains. And I figured, oh shit. Did you, did you get started? Did you get, did you get started early in the day? Yeah, I got, I got, I got started at eight thirty, which is, which is pretty early. Uh, and, uh, and I thought, oh shit, if at the rate I'm going, this is going to take me 10 or 11 hours without stopping. Well, um, and, and maybe it was about 70, actually it was about 70 miles, 70, or 70 kilometers of, of climbing. But once the, the mountains cleared up, there was a, a straight shot that was probably slightly descending with uh, no wind at, at all. And I was going, uh, I suddenly was going about um, near, near 40 kilometers, I, near, I, I was nearly going 20 miles an hour. For, for, for the, for the remainder of the ride. And I, I, I made incredible time. And even in the traffic, I was just, I was pacing off of, uh, the cars and, uh, were you able to just travel? Were you traveling at the speed of traffic? Spe- traveling once, once I got in, in, into the congested area, I was, I was definitely passing cars. They were, they were, they were holding me back. And, wow. uh, and it was, yeah. and it was very, very hot. Um, once I got out of the mountains, it was raining a little bit in the mountains, a little bit cold. So the city, the city is in, uh, is in a valley, or it's just in a the flat. The, the city, the, the city's on the o- the city's on the ocean. So there's oh. So the Baja Peninsula, basically, mountains go through the middle. You've got the Pacific Ocean on the west coast, and you've got the Mar de Cortez on the east coast. So this was on the east coast, um, and uh, but the mountain range. The, just just the way the road worked. I don't know why the road cut cut across the mountains, but it, it cut it cut across the mountains, 
and then you, you kind of have to look at La Paz on the map, but it it's uh it's kind of like a it's kind of like a bay that <clears throat> the Mar 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 de Cortez cuts into. And uh, so I I I use I use my phone to navigate once I'm in the city, and um, I, get, I get to this uh, hostel. <clears throat> Very old building, about a hundred years old, very beautiful, very inexpensive to stay in. Uh, my share of it was uh, it was four hundred pesos a night for all three of us, and there were like th- there were four beds in this big room, uh, and four hundred pesos is, is, is nothing. Um, it's like twenty dollars, and uh, I get to the reception, and uh, looks like any. It looks like a hostel, but you know it's it's called a hostel, uh, hostel familiar. And uh, there's a key waiting for me. I open the door and uh, there's there's two touring bikes and all their gear. And uh, but no Gustavo or Carmen. They were they were they were at dinner. And so I, I found them at dinner. And it, and it was just it was it was like I it was just just like the I had seen him yesterday. I mean just the same person, the same feeling, and. Uh, he he calls me Jaime. That's my that's my name in in Mexican. And uh, we uh, I, they they had eaten and then they 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 took me out to 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 get some tacos and then we we asked the locals uh, where would be a good place to drink, and we went to this local cantina, hole in the wall place where the poor workers go to drink. It's wooden tables, it's wooden chairs, smoke filled. All they do is sell uh, one one liter bottles of beer. They don't sell any of the fancy stuff. No cocktails, and uh, but but free like spongy Cheeto type of things that you can eat. And we spent a couple hours there, um, but all of us were very tired. We we had been cycling the whole day, so I think we we only went out until about ten thirty. But there were well, it's very hard to drink. It's very hard to drink and be a yeah a touring cyclist. But every, but all these uh, these 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 kind of fat local people were, were dancing. There was a maricon there, uh, and they they apparently they accepted the maricon. He was walking around. He 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 looked very very feminine. He had he was basically a cross dressing maricon. And then an old and then an old man started buying us beers. And then another old man sat next to me and he fell asleep immediately. He was snoring and drooling. Got a photo of him, and uh, I think we were all we all began to smoke cigarettes together. That's what you do in Mexico when you're drinking. Um, I smoked a lot of hand rolled cigarettes in uh, in Patagonia. I don't know. Did I ever tell you that? Uh, you might have. You might have. Was that was that Gustavo's thing? I mean, he's like to smoke in. Well, uh, towards the end of my ride? trip, I wasn't riding with Gustavo. I was riding with Carlos. Um, but, but it was a, it was a, it was a habit. It was a habit I picked up from, uh, from, from some other cyclists. I I can't remember. I was, it was on uh, Christmas and New Year's. Well, you know, the, the old, the old Tour de France riders all smoked. They viewed it as a a stimulant for the lungs that would, uh, achieve, could achieve higher speed, greater speeds and more strength and power with smoking. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I never, I never had greater I think speed there's pictures in power than when I when I smoked those uh, unfiltered uh, handle cigarettes. More power, better yeah. handling, better steering, all of it comes from smoking. But I think there's even pictures of those guys smoking in the peloton, right? Yeah, I mean, smoking cigarettes. Yeah, they they yeah. would they would pass cigarettes back and forth. It 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 it, it helps. Yeah, it's a it's it's a stimulant. Yeah. They drink <clears throat> wine. They have a have a beaten uh, a beaten full of wine. 
Got a pack of cigarettes. I mean, you're ready. You're ready to go race for the for the gold championships. But yeah. But but so so anyway, you 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 met you you met you met Gustavo again after you saw him in Argentina. Yeah, and I had I hadn't seen him since New Year's, New Year's Eve 2012. <clears throat> and uh, and 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 so it, it was it was it was it was it was he. He didn't really look like he aged. I mean, he'd gotten older. I'd gotten older. But I think both of us still absolutely live for the bike. You know, uh, he had he had he had two mechanicals in the in uh, in the last two days. He had two broken spokes, two broken spokes. Oh, and um, that we, seems like such a that seems like such a rare thing. I, I've never broken a spoke in my entire life. So Gustavo did nothing but break spoke break bike spokes his first trip. He he uh he he hadn't ever what? done a bike trip. Uh, before uh, his his 2012 trip, he cycled for about seven months all throughout Central and South America, and he had a, a mountain bike with race wheels, and they only had a few spokes, and they were the blade type spokes. Uh, and he had all of oh, his gear, funny. all of his gear on a rear rack, nothing on a front rack. He didn't have a front rack. Uh, and yeah. uh, and that, he didn't. That'll break. That'll break spokes. That'll he didn't. Break spokes. He didn't know anything about spokes or spoke wrenches or spoke nipples or how to replace anything <laughs> so when his spoke broke this time i thought oh shit you know he's he, he's not gonna have any tools you know urson gustavo really didn't have any tools well shit he had he had a cassette tool because of course the spokes always break on the cassette side he had a cassette tool yeah. he had a wrench he had eight spare spokes and uh i uh, I, I, I mean he knows, he knows how to do it yeah and so I mean, you need a. I mean, it's one thing to it's one thing to carry spare spokes with you. I know I did before uh, when I, but I, that was just because I read you should have spare spokes. If I broke a spoke, I probably wouldn't really know what, what to do to 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 uh, to switch out a spoke and use a spoke wrench. I mean, one of the best one of the best uh, things I ever did was build a wheel. Uh, now I've built like three or four wheels from from scratch. You know, you have a rim and you put the spokes in and you tighten it and then you true the wheel. I mean, if you do that, um, which is, it's something that's very daunting for most people who try and repair bikes. They say, oh, I don't want to build wheels. That's, that's, that's too difficult. But in fact, it's great. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to do and very instructive and you shouldn't be intimidated by it at all. And it'll give you great confidence for, for touring because then, you know, you can break a spoke whenever and you know how to true wheels and you can fix it. I mean, you'll never be totally true, truing a wheel, but you, you just have to be true enough so that you're not rubbing brake pads. Right. Which anybody can learn how to do. Right. So anybody can the, learn how to the, do. The, the, the first, the, the spoke that broke um, <clears throat> on this trip, uh, we, we went up to a, 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 a restaurant that had a big uh, overhang of shade and we set up all of our ground pads and we started, uh, started uh, fixing lunch. Carmen, his sister, had cooked... Uh, lentijas, the lentils. So we had these two big Tupperware containers full of cooked lentils with carrots and celery and onions and garlic. And uh, we, we had a beer and, and had this food. And Gustavo walked across the street to get a large wrench. There was a, a convenience store across the street, uh, uh, a drive-up a drive convenience store. And they just gave him a large wrench. And uh, I saw him struggling um, with across the street. So I ran across the street and 
he then walked up to a bus that had broken down and asked the bus driver if he had a, a cheater bar that he could attach to the wrench. Bus driver said he didn't have any tools whatsoever. And then I, I, I realized immediately, I said, oh, I've, I've, I've had this problem with the cassette tool and the wrench. Um, you, your, your, your legs are four to five times more powerful than your, your arms. And so if, you, uh, if, you, if the wrench is tight around the cassette tool and the cassette tool is well seated in, in, in the cassette, all you have to do is have one guy hold the wheel, another guy just uh, stand on the wrench and then put all of his weight on the uh, right, and and it came, it came off like butter, um, and and he's not a weak guy. I'm not a weak guy. With your with your arm, if you try to uh, push down, you're just never gonna get enough leverage without a cheater bar. No. So always use your always well, use plus, your always use your always use your foot. Plus, it's it's hard to stabilize the the, the wheel. I mean, you you it's just an awkward thing to do sometimes yeah. when it's stuck. And uh, and, he, and he popped, so he popped out the bad spoke. To, I mean, took off the cassette, popped off the bad spoke, <clears throat> put it in, tightened it up, trued up the wheel, and you know he wasn't even swearing or, or or whatever. I mean, and and the thing about it's it's this is the thing about cycling with other people is that when you have a mechanical, no one's upset, no one's stressed out. You've got all the time in the world; it doesn't matter. When you're by yourself, you you always just think about getting stuck or not having help. Or just wasting your time. When you're fixing a bike with other people, <clears throat> you know you're handing someone a beer as they're working. You're talking. You're telling stories. It, 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 you're you're passing time, and it's just as enjoyable sitting around, sitting in the shade, fixing a bike with your friends, than it is cycling with your friends. So um, that's 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 I I don't yeah well you, yeah you've been lucky to have you've been lucky to to run into some good people and be able to cycle with people. I, I have not cycled with anyone since, uh, since you and I went to Europe in the late nineties, that was the only trip I've ever, only trip I've ever been on with someone else. And, uh, I, well, I mean, I have run into people occasionally. I can't, I liked camping with people. I camped with a, with a Colombian guy for like a week and a half down in, uh, in Argentina in, uh, East, uh, what was it? Uh, Western Argentina south of mendoza yeah yeah uh, and that was great we had a we had a great time we had a great time just camping and hanging out uh cooking you know doing asados every day and, oh uh, god the, the, yeah, the meat was, the grass the grass-fed meat I mean, there yeah jesus it's it's uh <clears throat> yeah it's yeah i don't know i mean it's I, I i'm envious of the fact you you were able to cycle with some of these good people uh carlos you you and carlos had great a great uh great time down there in southern argentina in chile yeah, and, and and there were there there yeah. there I mean there there were times when I when I wanted to ride alone, um, I was I was looking for that <clears throat> at that at, I think the six weeks that I cycled with Carlos were probably six weeks where I, I definitely did want to be alone, and uh, and it's so beautiful out there on the Carretera Astral that it would have been fine. But having said that, when winter came, there were times where it in in, in the in the wind was bad. There were times when uh, it was it was very very good to have somebody, um, and then towards the end where where there were no ferries and we had all those disasters, uh, you know I, I don't think either of us could 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 have made it alone, um, or maybe maybe we could have, but it would it would it would have been nearly logistically impossible. We we, we were very lucky we were able to get across the lakes, um, and then uh, yeah, and it, so and it sounds like yeah you were in a lot of a lot of. Uh you know, difficult situations because of the weather. 
and the changing seasons where everything shuts but down. But I, I, w- I was having a uh, tough time in my first few months of bike touring. Uh, Brazil was a disaster. Uh, Southern Brazil was a disaster for me. I, I ended up loving Minas Gerais on, when, I, when I returned to Brazil and I, and I cycled the dirt roads. But I had arrived in, in the rich part of Brazil not realizing it was going to look like Europe. And it, and it was basically Europe. And uh, while, I, while I made some friends, it just uh, I, really, I really hated it. And then uh, you, you, you had suggested to me, you said, you know, you, you've, you've just got to go to Argentina. Just fuck Brazil. And, and, and so that yeah, was very disappointing was after, to have to leave the, Brazil. And then you said <laughs> every man. I was off the road, though, right? I, I wasn't <laughs> cycling at this time, was I? I finished cycling, right? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, might, you might have done some one-off trips in uh, some other countries. You went to, like, uh, Peru. Oh, no, 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 no. You went to, you went to some other countries on your bike. No, that was, that was later when I, when I was living in Bogota and I had to leave Colombia because my, my, um, my six months uh, in the country was expiring. So I had to leave and it forced me to ride again. And this was after I'd been to Argentina. I actually didn't want to get on the bike this time. This was a bike trip that I had to take. Um, I was forced into taking. And so I rode out of Colombia into Ecuador and into Peru and I flew back to the U.S. from Lima. But uh, it was probably, I don't know how long it took. I was probably out there for a few months. And uh, I, I was not in good shape. I was riding in the Andes. Like, I was kind of taking it slow. I wasn't sure what I was doing. Well, I, I, I remember it was, it was a very, very dark period for me because I felt... But you... But you were on the road at this time when I was on the road. Uh, I no, so, right? I, 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 I don't. I don't remember where you were, but I remember um, you basically saved my entire trip. Uh, and because I, 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 I hated Brazil. I was learning nothing from it. Uh, I thought I'd made a mistake to even go there. And and then I took this bus from. Um, I'd I'd cycled I'd cycled uh, through. Uh, Paraguay, which was actually was a good experience. And I was living in a campground uh, for eight days in uh, Foz do Iguaçu, Brazil. And I went to the, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm mixing things up. Was living in a campground in Foz do Iguaçu for eight days, made friends with a, uh, a an Indian, like some, I don't know what his tribe was, but he was somewhere around like Paraguay or no, maybe he was Peruvian or Bolivian or whatever, but he, he spoke Spanish and he spoke Portuguese. And, and there was a Brazilian guy, the Indian guy and me, we were living there. And I was waiting for a visa from the Paraguayan uh, embassy. Then cycled across Paraguay and passed from Paraguay into Posadas, Argentina. And this is where I took, you told me to take a bus to Salta. You said, don't worry about the bus. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about the bus. He said you're, you're you said you're going to pass through all this boring farmland that 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 that's not worth it. It's just going to be fenced off, you know, manicured farm. But you're going to get all the way to the yeah. And there's not a lot of not a lot of camping spots. It won't be very interesting. You need to just get to Salta and start there. Yeah, yeah. And good, and and, good and so Salta was was good and it, it was funny. I, I already read all about Salta. You, Salta, you, you'd written all about it. I went to the same bike shop. I know, and- I know. I, you, you just, 
I, I know you were ambivalent about going there and doing all that because you thought I'd already done it and there's no sense doing it doing it again when it had already been written about and the pictures had already been taken. And but and, 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 and you, I, there was more to do, obviously. Yeah. Because you could go to Chile, which which is what you did. And and I spent um, I don't think Yeah. I don't think you really covered a lot of the same uh, roads that I did, except around Salta and Mendoza, Cafejate, some of that Ruta Cuarenta in the north. But 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 it was be, after that. But that because you, because of that, I mean, my so I spent three days in Salta. Um, I was kind of dragging my feet. I was drinking a lot. Um, going into these Indian bars and drinking with all the drunk Indians, these big liter bottles of um Kilmes, Murakilmes. Oh yeah, Kilmes. It's great beer. Yeah, I love Kilmes. And you know, because it costs nothing. And um, yeah. and I remember my first ten kilometers out of Salta, the road was just, was just it was like it was it wasn't like Brazil, but it was just urban. And I thought I thought what is what is what has Moraline gotten me into? This is more the same. And suddenly it opens up into the mountains and the canyons. And you probably remember this ride in the Cafayate, but it took me two days. And I didn't bring Yeah, that. I didn't bring any food with me because I thought I'd be able to buy food along the way like you could in Brazil. And so my first night camping, um I had enough water, but I I didn't have any food. I ate I ate my last crackers or something. And is I'm, this that is this that canyon that canyon ride with like the, all the with the, the with the, uh, the gar red, garganta garganta de diablo yeah you have orange and you have and, red uh, and you have yellow rocks and you there's have these strange rock rock formations it's, that resemble it's things a, an obelisk. absolutely fucking there's incredible a, but but yeah it's one of the best one of the most beautiful I, rides anyone I, could I, I camped gone. I camped uh, off the side of the road and I didn't know how dangerous it was going to be so I had my big Bowie knife next to me and I, you know basically from from your stories i thought you know you know everybody's just gonna try to kill you throughout the night just there's gonna be all these people and you're just gonna, there's gonna be a pile of dead bodies of, of all the people you're gonna have to knife i mean that was just because all 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 that every ever night. all that ever happened to you is just you got attacked every night so i figured killing killing and killing there's always blood and gore and, 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 and part of camping and, and, and all the europeans in in brazil and in Argentina, I always talk about the Indians, the Mapuche, and maybe even you got this into my head. You know, they're just they just they they just eviscerate <laughs> white. Uh, well, I was warned. I was warned about Mapuche that they come at you with knives in the night. That's what they right. warned me. So about. I, I, I obviously say. slept. I obviously slept great. Every cow and fucking goat that walked by was a vicious Mapuche. <laughs> and um, but I got up in the morning after surviving all the Mapuche attacks that didn't occur. Cycled um, 100 kilometers through these incredible canyons, but the heat was getting to me, and um, I was I began to run out of water, but I hadn't eaten the whole day, and and it was it was it was torture because I kept seeing all these signs for vineyards. Right, every fucking vineyard was closed, but before the vineyards, there were all these signs for queso fresco, queso fresco, and I'd stop, and every queso fresco stand was abandoned. And it was terrible. Every every five kilometers, uh, you know, everyone was promising fresh cheese. And I went. Uh, there was a convenient, like so a, a little tienda that I finally found in the middle of the ride. And um, the, an Indian woman came there, and I said, "Can I buy anything from you? Can I buy 
mayonnaise, crackers, whatever. And she said, no, no, I have nothing to sell you. I said, there's nothing? You can't sell me anything. And she said, no, I can't sell you anything. <laughs> so I, so I, I, I starved all my way to Cafayate, uh, and I ate. the. Uh, and of course, when I arrived, all the grocery stores were closed because it was siesta time. Oh, yeah, siesta. Uh, uh, and, and, and up there, and up there where it's hot, the, uh, the siestas go on for hours and they hours. They go on they, like really 11, 11 to 5. Uh, they, they, yeah, really long. I ate three dinners when the restaurants opened up that night. Cheap. I ate all this Italian food, I think. Um, and then the, uh, and, and, and then that's where it began. I mean, I, it was, I had in, incredible, incredible views, incredible disasters, incredible experiences. I, I'd, 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 well, you went, I mean, you, you went where, why I recommended you, you to go and you, and you did it was the Chilean side of Patagonia, which is, uh, which is supposed to be beautiful. I don't know anything about it. When I went, I chose uh, Ruta Tres on the eastern part of Argentina that nobody rides. And that was why I chose it. It is not beautiful. And the wind is, is, is terrible. And uh, it's no one is recommended to ride their bike over there on that side. And, uh, and that was the reason why I chose it. It's because it was going to be miserable. I don't know how you did it. I actually um, began to think of you as a legend because when I was living in Denver, I'd, I had no appreciation uh, about what you were doing. Um, I didn't know anything about wind. I, I had I'd probably gone on eight or nine cycling trips in my life by the uh, by the time you had had gone to Patagonia. So I, I thought oh, I, I know everything about cycling. Um, he's talking about wind and you use the word ripio in italicis, italicized. And, and to this day, to this day, I get a great anxiety when I, when I, I and I used to, I used to, in my notes on the map, I'd say, um, cause I'd always ask people about, is the ripio, is the ripio? And I, because you used to, you used to talk about the ripio, and it sounded like it's fearful. It sound it, it's a fearful word. It sounds like a chainsaw ri ripping through you. That's that's how I, I think of the word ripio, <laughs> and you would italicize it, and it and it's and it's kind of like, um, you know, the road cancer or something. But um, I remember, it, oh. and then and when I first encountered ripio, it wasn't ripio the way it was supposed to be it was supposed to it was supposed to be paved roads but argentina had fallen into such disrepair especially in the north the paved roads had peeled away and the smooth stone that was under the asphalt was the only thing left nearly unrideable and um i had i had some miserable days pushing through that but when i well you know what there should be you know what there should be the Argent and the argentines should develop it because they they're able to you know how the Inuit have like 30 names for snow, all the different kinds of snow, snow that you can pass easily on, snow that cracks under your feet, snow that's hard, snow that's powdery. They have all these different names because it's for them, it's very, very different. There should be repio classifications. There should be a bunch of words like unpassable repio, repio if you push your bike through, repio that's, that's like riding on pavement, freshly broken pavement repio. I mean, there really is a lot of variation in repio. And 
I know, and you know, I mean, there's some repo, you cannot ride on it. You just sink into it. Like when it's those smooth sort of beach, beach smooth stones, and they're all like, uh, you know, pebble size. Ugh. You can't ride in that stuff. That's, and if it's like if it's like a foot foot deep of those, you just sink into it. So so you can't get I, through I, it. I, I I rode a lot in the sand. Um, I rode I rode in sand in Mexico. I, I rode a lot of sand in um in Brazil when I went back to Minas Gerais. But the worst I've ever ridden in is what you just talked about. And the word for that, um, a potassium miner gave gave me the word. It's it's feo. It's ripio feo. <laughs> Repeal fail. Yeah, that's probably pretty good. That's got to be the one you can't ride in. Repeal fail. And he said, because I asked him, I said, uh, ¿Cómo es la carretera para, para el resto de las próximas 70 kilómetros? And he said, it's muy feo. He said, it's very ugly. It's very, and in my, in my heart, yeah, because I, I, I was, uh, this is, pretty serious. I, I was in, in Northern Patagonia when I was running, I was always running out of water. I was always running out of food. And um, these guys, of course, they uh, they offered me uh, uh, they cut up sausage with their knife and cheese, gave it to me. Of course, gave me mate. And then um, you know these guys were out in the middle of nowhere, probably with enough water just for themselves. But you know they were in trucks. These guys offered to give me um, their water, and I actually I actually refused it. Um, eventually, was able to find my own. Um, but uh, the 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 way I was treated in the middle of nowhere um and i'm you know who is this 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 crazy guy in this fucking folding bike um they they treated i mean they they treated me like you know like i was a friend of theirs uh, everybody did in argentina um the argentinians are you know i wonder i wonder now how some of those places like um i don't know if you remember, i don't know if you passed near the place in uh, tierra del fuego on the way to it was on the way at least the way i took to get to uh, Ushuaia, there was a, it was known on the internet at the time, it had been mentioned, and I'd read it somewhere, that there was a oil, there was like an oil facility off the road. And this is in the middle of nowhere. So there was nowhere, I mean, it was just wild camping at this point. But if you, if you wanted to get indoors or you needed something, you could go to this, you could go to this oil facility and kind of knock at it, knock on it, door, and some guy would probably let you in and stay, they'd invite you in. There were a number of stories about being in, guys being invited in, but I tend to think now with the internet and, and with the proliferation of a lot of these stories, um, that don't you think these guys are getting a little tired of all these cyclists showing up and expecting hospitality? I, I mean, maybe they just welcome them in, but I, I don't know. I can imagine maybe these workers get a little you know tired. I mean, a, the first few cyclists is probably kind of interesting, but I mean, how many how many German cyclists who don't speak Spanish do you do you want to meet? That, that 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 is happening and i know that in chile they're they're overwhelmed by both the uh the backpackers especially the israeli backpackers and the uh the cyclists and and i and i had um i didn't have a very good experience with with a lot of uh chileans in patagonia they were very terse and they seemed harassed and harassed and, and they they seemed like they were recovering from some peak tourist season but in in argentina there was an outpost, um, a police outpost, and uh, it was very, very cold. It was about 20 degrees Fahrenheit, and the wind was terrible, but it was working in our favor, mostly at our back. But um, Carlos and I had 
reached some type of municipal outpost. Um, this is in uh, Kirchner's land. She 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 owns a lot of this stuff. Do you remember Kirchner? The was who she was the female yeah, president? president. Yeah. And um, yeah, she and her and, dead husband. Yeah, and so when we uh, when we got there, um, we had leaned our bikes up against a building, and apparently there was this really nice green grass that they had been watering, even though it was cold and it was arid. And and Carlos stepped on the grass, and the guy inside the municipal building tried to shoo him away, and was yelling at him and knocking on the glass, telling him to get the hell out of there. And Carlos said, "You know, campeón, let's go. They they don't want us here." And I kind of sheepishly came up to the door and said, hey, look, can can we have some water? And what's the best way for us to get to where we're going? If we have to cut this way, are we going to run into headwinds? And the guy actually calmed down and he said, look, no, if you if you cut through, um, there's a police outpost and, and you, can stand, you can spend the night there. And Carlos said, oh, no, he's lying. So we we went through this 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 tundra like atmosphere and. Lo and behold, there's an Argentinian flag and a, and a radio uh, antenna on top of this old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the, in the middle of nowhere, I mean, the, the only thing out there are uh, Nyandu and pink flamingos. Um, I mean, this was, it, it looks like northern Alaska, north of Fairbanks, just, just, just tundra. But there's no one there, and it's really, really cold. We set up the tents. We tie down the tents to, to, to these heavy, heavy rocks, and we begin cooking. And suddenly we hear music, and this pickup truck pull in, and we're thinking, okay, oh, this might not be great. We're, we're kind of camping on this guy's, you know, right outside this guy's uh, house, and we haven't asked for permission because he's pulling up. And he pulls up. And the first thing he says is, "Boys, you know, take down your tents and come on inside. I've got I've got a bunk bed for you, and let's let's cook dinner." And uh, we we turn off our stoves, we pack up. He turns on uh, the the you know the heat, you know, propane heat heats up the place. The it was the it was the anniversary of the death of uh, Gauchito Gil. Have you ever heard of the story of Gauchito? Gachito Gil. Oh, of course. He was this great the cowboy. Famous, uh, shrines. Yeah. To to Gachito Gil shrines. And he feeds us all these fried donuts that he'd already fried up days before. Uh, while while Carlos and I then cook some food. I think th- this guy actually didn't have much bef- besides the fried donuts. Now now that I recall. And uh, and we roll all these uh, cigarettes, and he tells us the story of how. His, how his wife and his daughter used to live with him and how uh, his wife left him and he had had the bunk bed for his, his daughter and anybody else who would visit. But um, the daughter and the wife had never come back and visited. It had been like five years. And um, he uh, he lived alone and it, it he didn't have that much work. You know, once in a while, a couple of Indians would get into a knife fight and he'd have to, you know, drive a couple hours and investigate or pick up a body or something like that but he lived a very very solitary life but once in a while cyclists would come and visit him i mean and and about 15 or 16 had but he loved it he had all the photos he had the postcards people would write him in different uh well they would write him in spanish but they were i I get i get the sense though i get the sense though that there there were a lot of very lonely people who lived alone uh in patagonia and still do 
and so much isolation. No amount, they're though, very, they're very, very isolated. Yeah. And they're very lonely. Perhaps it's a, perhaps cyclists passing through is a wonderful break in the isolation, and uh, it's very welcome. And they'll never get tired of it's like I mean, how many cyclists do you think pass through there? On a, and, and I mean, are they coming through every day? I mean, I, I don't. I feel like cycling's gotten a lot more popular, touring, and. And you you'd see more cyclists, but I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating something. The, the, a the route the route still the route we took limited. was 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 unknown. It was very much off the beaten track. Um, in all the years he'd only in. But also, but also keep in mind that there are a lot of people, like um, what is that one crazy guy in a bike? There's a website that that, re- that people can record their diaries of traveling. Yeah. Just go through and start reading some of those diaries. Like if you start reading about people that start in the begin- the, the north of Argentina or Chile, you'll see a lot of their diaries just suddenly one day stop, like 20 days in or 15 days in because they abandon. So, I mean, when you start getting to the southern part of the continent, you've already weeded out. You've already weeded out quite a quite a bunch of cyclists that have, for whatever reason have stopped, mechanical reasons or just fatigue or, you know, sickness. They just couldn't handle it, and uh, I mean, you get down to the uh, Tierra del Fuego, and uh, I think probably that you know those people have been hardened by the road. I mean, and the, it takes it takes some character and strength to be able to get that far. Well, and uh, this is you don't really meet bad people. This is you're not going to meet bad people. This is this is what I realized about the main difference between my trip and your trip. Um, our trips didn't really have anything in common because I encountered four or five days of wind and i i don't think i ever encountered a, a headwind uh i i encountered a headwind for three hours um i think it i think it took me three hours to go 10 kilometers in a headwind once getting blown off the side of the road when it would change into a crosswind and i thought to myself oh, i mean i i mean the first the first the first true my realization of the wind was i remember it was one night um and i don't even know if this yeah this is probably near bahia blanca probably somewhere so not even in patagonia yet and there's a storm came through so i mean it was the wind had already started but it was wind that was also uh bolstered by the storm and uh my tent i was sleeping on the side of the road and my tent was bent over so far in the wind that the side of my tent was laying across my face and I was being whacked by the tent poles. I mean, I was literally flattened to the ground, my tent. And I believed, I packed up all my stuff inside my tent. I believed and I put on my rain gear because it was a terrible storm. And I realized, I said, there's no way my tent is gonna make the night. It's gonna be torn apart and I'm gonna have to put my gear together in the darkness and try and find shelter. There's nowhere to get shelter. I was just gonna be screwed. And uh, I was I was just very prepared for the tent to be ripped to pieces. I, I don't know how the tent survived. It did though. It was it was a good REI tent, but it was you know it was kind of old, but it was it was still very good at the time. Well, I mean, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know how general, I don't know how I don't know how cold it was, but if you so couple of observations. If it's not raining, cowboy camping is the only way to camp. Cowboy camping is without a tent. Um, if you've got a good sleeping bag or a bivy sack around a sleeping bag, um, yeah, wind wind is not an issue. Rain. Um, but the problem is that it's pissing it, pissing rain. In, in the in the I rain, mean, a terrible. bivy sack is not going to do you any good. And 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 our tents were our homes. 
Um, but if, if, if you have a cold rain and you're, and you can't get your tent up, um, and it's dark and you can't cycle and you can't get shelter, um, and it's cold and it's raining, you, you're going to die of hypothermia in an hour. You're going to die. Uh, you, you could, you definitely could. You know, you know, I almost did. I, I did go hypothermic once and it was just stupidity. It was just damn stupidity. And it was this freezing cold wind. I was in Patagonia. You, you had, um, you had, you had a, a $50 was a rain volcano. suit that you were duct taping every time it got torn. You had this yellow, no, you had no. this yellow disposable rain suit. No, no, no. I still have it. It's, I never tore that. I was very careful with it. It's a great rain suit. It actually is great. I love that thing. I still have it. I have it here. Uh, but but I I was wearing well actually I was using it for layers because it was a good windbreaker over my my sweater my wool sweater. Uh, but I remember I got to this this was this volcanic area of um, near oh, what was it near? It's a very brutal wind. This was a very terrible brutal windy day, and I made it to this. There was this incredible park, which was a huge volcano that had this bright blue uh, pond, this bright blue water that was in the middle of it, just massive crater. And I went to the top of it, and it was just this beautiful black rock, volcanic everywhere, just lava field. And I was looking down into this crater, and it was just, it was incredible. And uh, I was so stunned by what I was seeing that I didn't take off any of my sweaty clothes. I didn't put my tent up. I didn't do anything. And, uh, oh, and then on top of it, there was like this French couple that was there and they were crossing over into Chile because you had to cross into Chile from there. The border was just ahead. Um, cause I guess it was going to Tierra del Fuego. That's where I was about, I was about to cross into. Were you, and were you in Rio, you were you near Rio, Rio Gallegos? Yes, exactly. Um, which is, it's just an ugly oil petroleum town. But anyway, this whole area was, this was, this was the bright spot to be at this crater, uh, wonderful place. And, but it was just brutally cold and the wind was just killing. And, uh, I suddenly realized that, that anyway, this French couple gave me their food and they gave me a glass of wine. And so I was talking to them. I was just ignored. I was ignoring my, what I should have been doing, which was the first thing you should do is set up your tent, get inside get off your sweaty clothes, get into fresh clothes. Um, I, and, and I would have done all that if I wasn't distracted by all this, this beauty. And the next thing I knew, I realized I was shivering and I, I, my body temperature had dropped and I, and I knew I was in trouble. I was like, I can't get rid of this shiver. So I built my tent as fast as I could. I, I switched my clothes to dry clothes. I jumped in my sleeping bag. I put tea, started cooking uh, uh, water for tea. Uh, I was drinking all this tea and I was still shivering. I mean, my teeth are chattering. Uh, I, 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 I knew I was in trouble. I was really in trouble. And there, there was no one there. I mean, there was literally no one there. And I was thinking, all right, well, I guess my options are I got to just keep making tea and see if I can warm up in the sleeping bag. But if I can't get warm, I got to get on the bike and start riding. I'm just going to have to start riding. But I mean, now it's dark and the wind is just whipping. I mean, the wind is killer outside. I mean, it's the idea of getting, and I already ridden like for 15 hours into a terrible wind all day. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. Uh, but, and I finally got my body temperature up, uh, but it was, it was, it was dicey. I mean, it was, it was one time where I was, I was really worried. I was thinking, shit, 
this, this could be it. I, I really fucked up here. Shouldn't have been walking around. I should have been doing what I needed to do. Uh, it was good. It was a good lesson. And I, I was lucky, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't pull a McCandless, you know, you know, when, when, dying like a when, mile you, when away you're from traveling, uh, when you're, when you're riding by yourself, um, and I, and I rode by myself for, for, for a long time, not, uh, in, in, in the cold, uh, I was riding with Carlos when it was cold, but, um, I remember somebody asking me why I always look pissed off in all my photos when I would take a, a photo of myself. And I wasn't, I wasn't pissed off. I actually was very happy. But by traveling alone and realizing that if you have a mechanical problem, if you run out of water, if you run out of food, if, you, if your tent blows into a bunch of thorns, um, you, you're fucked. You begin to have a very severe, maybe stoic attitude. But you're very happy because the tougher you get and the more severe you get, and I guess it your face changes, um, the more you're at peace with, um, the inhospitality of, of the earth, which is beautiful. I mean, the earth on the one hand is the stars are, are incredible at night. You're seeing volcanoes. I saw volcanoes, a volcano exploded a day before the end of the Mayan calendar. And I thought it was my last day on earth and I was happy. Um, but you, uh, you're not angry. Well, there's there's so much. You're not you're so not much, angry, but so you you, though, you uh, have tremendous suffering. You, you have a, uh, a, a a mistrust of of everything, but and but everything beautiful. Um, you don't. Yeah, but the idea the idea I found is that you you suffer your way to this incredible happiness, uh, and there's nothing I've ever known. There's no drug that could that could double what you do there, because it's it's happiness gained by by deep suffering deep physical suffering. I mean, and if you go on, if you go in those windy places, you go in those hard places, uh, suffering, suffering is real. And, uh, I mean that, and that was always one of the things that I remembered about the, the Oshwaya where the road ends that campground. And I, it, it's one of the experiences you missed out on was going to that campground. And, and I did, I did go to that campground and I was, goes. I was, I was turned down. Well, it was closed, I think, right? Well, it was, it was, it was, it was the, the ability for the, there was a Brazilian, a young Brazilian guy living there oh, some asshole as, guy. as caretaker. Right? And, and, and this story. is before I, I really understood Brazilians, but, uh, he said, oh yeah, I don't really have permission to let you in this warm lodge that no one's in right now for which I have a key, but I ended up staying in a really great, I ended up staying in a really great hostel. And meeting a lot of uh, really, really, really great people. Yeah. Well, you miss. I mean, part part of the interest that lodge is wonderful. By the way, you sit up there and look over the um, the Straits of, of Magellan, and uh, but the the people there who gather at that at that campground uh, and are uncertain about what they're doing next. I mean, they're people that started in Alaska years before, and now they've run out of road. There's motorcyclists or have been touring, there's bicyclists, uh, and you, you meet all these people. The interesting thing about them is the, is just the happiness and the peace and the calm and, and everyone, everyone is just these, these, these you, you feel a great camaraderie because everyone is, has had their tales of suffering and beauty and you don't even feel the need to really talk about it. I don't remember really talking about anything with any of these people who had been on the road. 
it was just uh we were just happy to drink drink beer together and drink coffee and look out over the Strait of Magellan and uh just just be in each other's company it was it's just a beautiful thing and uh i mean I, and i hadn't come as far as some of the other people had i mean those some of those people who started years before i, I don't know how they do it you know starting in alaska and riding the whole pan american that is uh yeah you know yeah, you know but the, the, yeah, the mean, funny I, I the funny know. thing is is that so urs urs had been riding since uh anchorage when i when i ran into him and Oh, yeah, and, 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 and the thing, and, and, and this is kind of what I realized when I was cycling in Baja, your trip doesn't begin until you get to Argentina, until you get to the severity of the desert and then the wind of Patagonia and Tierra del Fuego, and then, and then pushing your bike through the deep channels on the way to uh, Lago del Desierto from Vio Higgins. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, you went that way. I didn't, oh, I didn't go that oh, way. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but, but in any case, t- 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 yeah. both of us tiered off Fuego. That, that, that's, that's where the trip begins. You, you had said to me, you said, every man must go through the land of fire. And I was terrified by it. And I knew that I had so far to go. I said, <laughs> I said, I'll probably abandon my trip. And, 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 and I remember my, the, the, I said that. Yeah. I you said told, that everyone you told me that every man must go through the land of fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and well, they have to. And I thought, I thought that, that's so that's so goddamn far away. I'll I'll I'll, I'll never make it. And uh, and then and and I remember the first time I got into Patagonia, I saw it was Bienvenidos a Neuquén. Do you remember Neuquén? It's the first province yeah. of Patagonia. I, 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 you were over on that side. I wasn't, I wasn't over there. Yeah. Well, so I don't, I, I remember t- tears came to my eyes. I said, I made it to fucking Patagonia. I made it on my own. And there's no, you can't take a bus to Patagonia. You can't fly there. You can't, you can't, no, you have to start all the way in the fucking north. You have to start in the fucking desert. And I, I got there and I only had um, like 30 kilometers or 40 kilometers to go. And immediately Patagonia welcomed me by uh, sunlight, then dark clouds, then incredible wind. And then my last 10 kilometers, uh, it took me three hours. And I said to myself, if this is what Moraline is fucking talking about in the wind, I'm about to give up. And I I uh I only had had wind a couple more days of anything like that and 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 just cold wind and just it beats at your ears um but you had a crosswind for weeks yeah, and wind. weeks and weeks that was even more severe than that and I I only one time I only one time had the wind behind me I had one time and I oh my you know, I had the wind behind me and I, I had, I had just gone shopping. And so I had, uh, I had all these, these plastic bags filled with food and, and, and drink. And, you know, I was using, I hadn't put, I didn't have any room in my, uh, in my bags. So I had them on both of my handlebars. So my, my bike was very awkward as you imagine, you know, as you imagine when you got all that weight hanging off your handlebars. And so I could not really control the bike very well. And this huge wind was blowing me down the road. 
it blew me right past where I needed to turn for the uh, campground. And I couldn't stop the bike. It was just, so I just said, forget it. And it blew me all the way to the coast, like 30 or 40 kilometers away from where I needed to be. Uh, and I just ended up on the coast and I found uh, some campground over there. But I was, it was just, it was just the idea of just having the wind behind me at one time. And, 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 and no one, like, no, no one go. realizes that if you've got a 70 kilometer or 80 kilometer an hour wind at your back, and you overshoot by a kilometer. A, a, a one kilometer of a headwind yeah, could take you back. thirty minutes. I couldn't go back and, into it. And it's the most yeah, I it, it, the, the amount of water that you lose in your body by pushing against the wind. The danger of just getting on your bike and then getting blown into the road or getting blown into rocks. And then the def the de- well, this wind was this wind was blowing so hard. This wind was blowing so hard. It was blowing sand and and, and small pebbles and stuff in the air. That was behind me. So I'd have to turn into that and return it, like try and ride into that to go back. I mean, there's just no way I could do it. Even if it was a kilometer, I didn't want to do it. But, it but just, if you, if you, if you awful. missed your turn, what, what the, what the fuck did you do? Oh, I just kept going. I just, I just kept going until I hit the coast and, and the wind died down. And, um, I just came across a campground there and I, and I went in and I, I camped. But I had, but then the next day I had to ride into that wind again. It wasn't as bad. The storm had kind of, there was a storm that had, had aided it, made, given it strength, and the storm was kind of gone, but the wind was still blowing. I mean, I, I just got used to the wind. I mean, the wind, the wind probably should have a bunch of different words too in, in, in Argentine Spanish because. Viento fail. Yeah, it was always fail. It was fail, feísimo, feísimo. That was the classification. But uh, you know they named the wind up in the uh, puta gonorrhea viento. Yeah, the wind of gonorrhea. Chingasa, no, no, no. The wind chingon. Is uh, the wind in the north actually has a name? It's called uh, la la zonda, la zonda, uh, I think. But the wind in Patagonia, I don't know. I don't know if they've named it. Maybe it's just uh, it's too horrific. They don't they don't want to give it a name. But. Uh, but I will say, I will say though that the uh, the wind you get used to, you, d- you don't realize that the wind the wind becomes your brother. The wind is the wind is your companion, and it's he's, it's there for you every day. But one of the interesting things about it is the wind doesn't blow at night, and so a lot of cyclists start riding at night to avoid the wind. But I I, I can I just I can't imagine riding at night. I mean why why do you go to a country and just ride at night? I mean the stars are nice, but for one thing, it's extremely dangerous with all those truck drivers. I, I, and that's one reason I would never recommend anyone ride where I did. The wind is the, not the problem. The truck drivers are the problem. Because there's, there's, there's no shoulder. You're, you're, you're riding on the white line, and the roads are not wide. And uh, those truck drivers do not stop. They, they, they lay on their horn, and you got to get off the road, or they will just hit you, or their mirror. I mean, how many times their mirrors just passed over the top of my head? I could feel them. Uh, that's just uh, these guys are crazy, you know, with the mat, the, the mate between their legs, mixing mate. Uh, yeah, they, I, they, they, they've, got the, they've got the they got the they've got the gourd and the bodija in the middle of their legs, and then they've got the, the the thermos full of hot water that they're trying to pour into the the the, the gourd. And and then and then they look and I and I've been a I've been a truck driver now and and uh, and 
I, I don't like to be slowed down. And I, so I know how these guys feel. And uh, to, to hit the brakes at all just makes you furious. And so I, I just, I would, I would never do that trip. I would never, never, any, go, I would never go anywhere there's going to be truck drivers. That's why I said to you the next trip, and this is one we need to do. We'll do it together. And we should film it or we should, we should document it in some way, which is to do uh, Ruta Cuarenta uh, on, that, on that repio. Because I, I don't think there are any trucks there. And it's just desolation. It's supposed to be like some sort of lunar landscape. Yeah, I, I say and, uh, I say that we film it. Um, the GoPros are getting so good, and the memory is so cheap. You can get these uh, hundred gig cards. You can bring like thirty of them if you want to. But um, the uh, if you spend uh, if you get like the four hundred dollar GoPro now, it's basically like a professional movie camera, indestructible with a viewfinder. Um, I think, and then you know, like a year from now, it'll probably even be better. But I say we make a film, and I say that not only do we make a film, yeah, so. but we also we do the trip. But then instead of going back, I mean, like, I mean, I'm so I I won't be working off the quit, and and then then I say we sit down and then we make the film. We actually go and cut it and we edit it and we spend two months making the film. Oh, I think so. I, look, I think the trip. I think the trip would needs like ten weeks. I think ten weeks you can do it, and um, I, I hope I hope Chrome I hope I hope it. Chrome can go, um, and I also think that if he if he can't go, and I hope he can, um, it's 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 a it's 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 a it's a big it's 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 a big ask, and um, you know, if I had a family, I I I wouldn't go myself, um, and it's a lot to ask him, but one thing he could help us with is the editing and, and the filmmaking because he's uh he's very talented and I think he could help us with that. And then if and if he can't, Gustavo is freelancing right now and Gustavo is a very talented film editor. He might we could go to we That's could right. go to Mexico City and, and live with him and, and he could be our producer. He could he could put it together for us. That's true. That's true. We could we could go and we could work with him with some editing and probably learn some tricks. But I mean, I think the thing is, is to gather, just shoot a, shoot, shoot a lot, a lot of video and figure out later what we have. But, and, and, but make it a documentary. Those, uh, I mean, like we would, I mean, we, we would interview one. I mean, it would be, but the, but the idea needs to be, the idea needs to be though, the, the, the philosophical underpinnings of, of such a trip and such a place. I mean, every, everybody is. That, I mean, that's what's missing out of a lot of these these bike touring blogs or bike touring diaries, um, which is no one really ever explains why they went. Uh, I mean, I had very, very, very important reasons for why I went. And as I went, there were a lot of things I learned. Hey, and I, I just so, I, I'm more just I'm more interested in what 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 those things. So th this is how what, what, what you're saying people. right now. What you're saying right now is, is very important. But. Your blog uh, on your trip and my blog on my trip were just factual. We didn't opine philosophically, but we did on the other blogs write about the meaning of the trip and the philosophy of the trip. For the first time, I don't know if you read my first two posts and the rest, the rest of my posts are going to be much better because the trip gets better. But on my first two days, I, I posted the photos and things like that. But I actually started writing philosophically about my, my trip on my travel blog. I've never done that before. And I was asking, you know, why do we document? Why do we, 
travel? Why, why do we do this stuff? And, and I said, I said, listen, I, uh, I came back to Atlanta to recapitalize, but it affected me. I, I said, I missed, I missed South America. I missed, I missed Alaska. And, um, I, did you, did you get a chance to read? And I, and I, I said, I said, Moraline calls this nostalgia. Is this the, uh, is this, is this, I've only read the first two. Yeah. Then, then there's only two, but so, I, but I, and then I referenced you and I said, I said, I said, Moraline calls this nostalgia, but, but what is it? Uh, yeah. And, and I, and it, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't deep and it, it wasn't developed, but I realized, I said, this is how philosophy should be written. He, I can't do this stuff where I've got aphorisms where I'm writing about abstract philosophy and then I have a bike trip. Now I know that the bike trip itself should be philosophy. Like just the photos and the factual accounting for, in my opinion, was the philosophical project that I was doing. And it was, I was very much following in your footsteps. I mean, your, your whole point was, and this is at the beginning of this podcast, I talked about Europe and you said, Europe is worthless. This is what you said to me. I I'd just gone on a trip. I don't know if you had gone to South America yet, or if you had just realized this and you said, Europe is filled with socialism. Now you knew it much better than I did. You lived in Europe for a long time. You lived in France for a really long time. And you said, you said to me, you said, the farms are fake. The food is fake. No one lives outside of the coddling or the coercive influence of the state. And you were reading your von Mises and I was at this accounting job and you'd send me like a 800 page PDF of von Mises and you'd say like, read this. And I'm like, oh, I can't read that, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and then of course you went off and you did your trip and your trip took all this time. And here I am just running around, smoking weed, chasing women, um, living a very vapid life. And you, you came out and visited and you you basically said to Chrome and I, you're like, yeah, this is silly. I used to do this. You know, once you get laid once, doesn't matter how many more times you get laid. What's, what's the point? Why are you guys doing this? Um, and I just thought, oh, maybe, maybe Moraline's bitter, but I had no idea that you, you would realize that. And I thought, you know, I, you know, Europe's great. What, what's this problem with Europe? Well, I, I, you, you, was, you were, you were, you were, you were on to the greatest, most life-changing revelation ever, which was that there was wilderness left in South America. The last cowboy open space where a man can challenge himself, be alone like a cowboy, nearly die like a cowboy, suffer, see lava fields and rivers and wild horses that sniff your tent in the middle of the night as a rain fire of stars is looking over your tent. Um, well, it's, it's so, uh, it's, it's interesting though, because so few people, I, I realize now with this, this soul city life that everyone's just so attractive, attracted to, and they, they love it. Uh, that's the only thing they know. They've never really been out in a place where, where you could die, for instance, you know, there's stuff that could kill you. Um, you know, like I remember up in Alaska, right? Well, Chris Gustafson and I, we went out to kill some salmon in the river. One of the streams, one of the, one of the, there was like a, a, a riffle. And uh, these salmon were, were shooting through this, you know, couple inches of water. And they were pinks. So we knew they were going to be terrible to eat, but 
We just wanted to kill him and eat him anyway, so we hit him with rocks. We stunned him, and I cut their heads off, and we uh, we we filleted him, and we we uh, we cooked them over a little fire we made. And uh, <clears throat> but the fire we made was like next to the bank. You have these huge bear tracks in the mud. You know, a bear had just been through there, and I mean, these things were like the size of your face. I mean, imagine that that creature, that thing that could just rip you apart and just walk through there. I mean, stuff like that. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, yes, it's shocking. It's shocking to someone who doesn't have the experience of that. I mean, someone who's lived up in Alaska, it's no big deal. But when you start to when you start to have these experiences, whether it's that or whether it's running low on water in the middle of nowhere and you need water, and uh, you know you're in Argentina or somewhere, and yeah, man, you. You were in trouble. You, you you do have to start thinking about things. Uh, you get yourself into a situation. It teaches a, a different sort of thinking when you when you see stuff that could kill you and end you, or or hypothermia and stuff where you screwed up. These are lessons. These are sometimes mortal lessons. And you know, a bunch of city people who are making money, or a bunch of city people who are philosophers and sitting around and uh, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and talking out of their asses. I mean, that's all nothing, man. It's just nothing. I mean, that's what Europe is full of. There aren't any wild places there. Uh, I mean, in South America, there's wild, right? But there's also lots of pastoral, which is like Patagonia, which is, you know, it's everyone's got their, their areas and their estancias and stuff. But you're still out there alone. The, the desolation is there. And Your, uh, Europe doesn't... Your, Europe is not there waiting to kill you. The thing... The thing when people, but it's also it's also though farming though. I mean, anywhere there's farms, you you have you have city life or the beginning of city life, but farming is not possible in Alaska, and farming is not possible in Patagonia. Uh, you it, the the you know all these Europeans went to you know our, all these Europeans went to Argentina thinking they'd become farmers, and they discovered that you couldn't farm very well um, in most of the country. The northern part of the country, you can obviously, but when you go further south, all you can do is run cattle. So they they regressed into a sort of pastoralism, which tr- transforms the people, and it's different culturally. They eat they eat uh, they it, eat meat and potatoes, and, and a lot of them just eat meat. Yeah, they don't live on grains. They're no longer grain eaters. And, sit and you'd, you'd and, think and, that and, that and, these and people that that, that just eat sheep all day, um, would be very unhealthy, or that, or, or eat cow on day all day. But they're extraordinarily healthy, and and that's because Whoa. they're they're not eating cows who are eating this fake corn. They're eating cows and, and sheep that are eating primeval grass grassland. Yeah, the old that's being fed by fucking glaciers, and, and that is in a very magnetic and special place. Interestingly enough, um, Seward, Alaska, and Ushuaia, Patagonia are are, are sister cities. They're they're on, they're in the same place, just on other sides of the planet. But if you if you look at the, the if you look at downtown Seward, and you look at downtown Ushuaia, they're identical, covered with glaciers, covered with mountains, right on the ocean, same weather. Well, that's right. It's uh. That that was that was one of the reasons that I was led to Alaska right after that, which is like I, I'm going to go to the, this end of the earth and this other end of the earth, and how extraordinary that Alaska actually is America. 
you know, I don't, and I don't have to leave. I don't have to get kicked out. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, neither place is easy to live. I mean, uh, you can maybe say Alaska is a little bit more civilized, but if you need to make money and you need to make a living, Jesus fucking Christ, Alaska is really now. We 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 could have well, worked on charter still, boats. We could have worked in the tourist industry. You maybe could have driven a truck, but fuck, we didn't. We chose the well, most listen, brutal listen, fucking thing you listen, could do. This whole thing, this whole thing with the oil fields, um, I believe is eventually going to lead me back to Alaska and to the slope. And uh, I, f- I feel like I really, you know, I, my interest originally a lot of it was from Hugh Brody and uh, Edmund uh, Carpenter with the with the Inuit and all, and all of this stuff. And I, I never really got was able to get into that. And uh, I think I've got to go to the far north. And the best way I think is to is to try and learn the language. I mean, that's really the only way you can have any kind of understanding of, of this other world, which is still there, uh, is to have the words. And the way you gather these words is by going out into the into the tundra and by going out on a hunt, because this is this is the world of these words. Uh, you know, that's the interesting thing is we contrast these city words with these with words of the like Anupiad or something. These Nupiat words are all about the world that they live in and how to do things in that world. And these things are all very physical and all very much related to life itself, um, daily life and sustenance. But we have a language now which is which is so transformed, which is mostly about lots of nothing things, you know? It's technologies and stuff. And I mean, how many words we really use have this very localized, um, specific meaning which relates to sustenance and survival? There's really not anything anymore. Well, you, you, you know, you bo- bo- both of us, words, I think, were, take were transformed, seriously. although you maybe went a lot more prelinguistic than I did um, because you didn't have any human contact when you were, you were cycling. But Carlos and I got to the point where all we talked about was when we were going to eat, what we were going to eat, uh, how much we were going to eat, how much we were going to drink. No, no, no alcohol, of course, in Patagonia. There's no time for it and there's no place to buy it. Um, but we just were focusing on mate, um, dulce de leche, uh, powdered milk, pasta. Yeah, but I mean, but but but, I, I but the other thing the is, thing. all we did was Spring, ask people, solo. Where, "Where's the next source of food? Where's the next source of water?" And and all, all <laughs> but I was all, doing the I was doing the all, same all, thing. All we could, I was we, we were we were no longer talking about like sightseeing or tourism as you would if you were a tourist and enjoying. It was always. Where's the food? Where's the water? And you, 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 you could always meet a real narco cyclista, which obviously I considered you one. Consider you one. Uh, a narco cyclista, they just they talk about. They say, "How's the ripio?" And how's the food and water? And then you, <laughs> I, I reached Ushuaia with my mindset where you know, I, I my knowledge base then it when I reached Ushuaia was, I know a lot about the, the, the food and water in Patagonia. I mean, that, that was, I, I thought I, I knew everything. I was a very wise man. And I flew to Rio. And in Rio, suddenly, my knowledge of food and water was irrelevant. I mean, there was food and water everywhere. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the thing. When you, when you live in these places of abundance, I mean, People don't know what it's like to go without stuff. 
that's an important that's an important experience to have to go without, and not because you have you don't have the money to buy something, but just because something is not there, the scarcity of of food or scarcity of water. Well, that that was why when, uh, when when people asked me this, that how did you travel for so long? You, you must have been rich. And I think you might have mentioned this too. You, I think you said this to me, but you you said it to me before I ever said it to anybody else. You said. There's nowhere to spend money. You can you the whole time you're in Patagonia, the whole time you're in the desert. There's there's nothing <laughs> yeah. there. Well, that's true. You'd, you'd be happy, and, and then in Argentina, everything's so cheap. When you do have the opportunity to spend money, you want to buy everything you can, and fill up your saddlebags with with as much food and water as you can. But there's nothing to buy. There's nothing out there. There's everything out there that you really want to see and feel and experience but there's there there are no there's nothing to buy there's you can't you can you can spend well some of the the tourist the tourist destinations are outrageously expensive you know and that's that i mean that led me never to go into and never wanting to go to any of the tourist spots you know I, I, when you're i don't know how you feel about it but when i'm cycling i i unless i come across something that's that's a tourist spot i i i won't go out of my way to stop somewhere. It just is not interesting to me. I'm I'm more interested in the ride and eating, and sleeping, and uh, I, I mean it's just all these very so very, so uh, so so Carlos and I things. Carlos and I descended on one of the top tourist spots, if not the top tourist spot of Patagonia. It's called El Chalten. That's where uh, Torres del Paine, Paine is. Yeah. And that's right. if if that's if mountains. if we had arrived during the tourist season, the reason why no one was there is there they they had shut down all the ferries. We had had to wait five days in Vio Higgins to get a ferry across to um, Chile, and then of course we had to port our bikes two days to to get across Lago del Desierto because there there was no ferry and we were shit out of luck. Um, but when we reached El Chalten, it was a it was a ghost town. And the only ones left were the Argentinians. And we were staying in a, a hostel that was a, a group of um, cargo containers. And it was f- obviously filled with tourists during the, during the high season, but there was, there was no one left. There was no one left. There were two really nice fancy bike shops that sold all the parts. And uh, Carlos wanted to hike. And I, I, I didn't understand the idea of hiking or doing anything else other than cycling, but... Um, we we really enjoyed it, and we obviously loved the heat. We liked the Wi-Fi. I mean, I, I we we were we had been so isolated, and, and we had suffered so much that to be able to shower and wash our clothes, and 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 so this tourist town that was abandoned for us was paradise. Um, it I don't think if it was filled with tourists when we arrived, Carlos would have been fine with it. Um, he's Chilean; the the gringos don't bother him. Um, for me, it might have disturbed me. But maybe at that point, um, I felt so transformed that I would have seen seen them from the the outside, and I wouldn't have spoken English to them. Just just like in Brazil, when I lived in a hostel for five weeks, that was actually where I met Amanda. Um, I uh, I didn't have a problem with the the gringos that were there because um, I just couldn't speak English anymore. I just only spoke Portuguese and. And I and I just shifted from Spanish to Portuguese, and so that was my protection. I was this strange guy, apparently 
they said that you know he'd been living in hostels his whole whole life. That was the story. <laughs> and he doesn't speak English, but we're not quite sure who he is or where he's from. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, but, but there no, there are no there are no tourists um, to run in in the middle of nowhere. The language thing, though, the language thing, though, is the key. It's really the key, and that's what I think separates a lot of these touring cyclists or travelers from what you and I did is that we we've always been an effort to master the languages at least to the extent that we can not just simply greet people but uh, have some limited conversations and at least a base from which to build uh, the language from how do you sit down I mean, with a sheep herder? I, I just am shocked I'm shocked by the the lack of language proficiency of these travelers they just I just can't imagine going to a place and being unable to communicate. And also going with the place with the expectation that someone would speak in your language, which is predominantly English. And so, well, uh, this has its roots. Just, where where, where the are the roots? Where need. are the roots of this? The language, though. General, think think about this. But language is the one skill. Language is the one skill that you need beyond bike bike repair. Everything. If you have language, you'll be fine. You're, you're the That's all you're, you need. you're the you're speak. the only North American guy ever that learned Bulgaria Bulgarian. And never went to Bulgaria. Remember you remember remember that that was the plan. Well, yeah, that was the first bike trip in the nineties to get to Bulgaria from Brussels. But, um, yeah, I, I my, look my Bulgarian. I, I don't think was great. But you learned uh, but I, you learned I, I, I the Cyrillic. You learned the uh, the Cyrillic alphabet. I mean, at the time, I mean, your Bulgarian was probably. But you can but, learn, but, I mean, you can learn you can learn the Cyrillic alphabet in a, in a day. You can, it's not, it's not that hard, but I mean, to develop a base, I, I think I probably had a decent base. Um, and I know I did because I was able to speak Bulgarian, um, to people in Croatia and also in uh, Slovenia and they understood it, what I was saying. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, I mean, more or less, and I could, under, that was a realization. I mean, I was so stupid back then. I didn't realize that Slavic people spoke similarly across, across countries. And I remember listening to these people in Slovenia and thinking, oh, well, they're talking Bulgarian. I don't know why they're talking Bulgarian. <laughs> so I started talking to Bulgarian to them. And they, they looked at me funny. And then they started talking to me. And, uh, and I, I, just, I just kept asking them, why do you speak Bulgarian? You, you live in Slovenia. What are you doing here? No, no, no. We're Slovenians. <laughs> yeah. And there's some of them, I remember this town called Murska Soboda on the border, uh, just across the border from Hungary. And they were speaking Hungarian mixed with Slavic, so I would oh, speak Jesus Hungarian to fucking them. Christ! Straight, straight Hungarian, straight Hungarian to them, but they would refuse to speak to me because I was speaking this. I was speaking unmixed hun, uh, Hungarian. I was speaking that straight, and I'd say to them, "But you guys are speaking Hungarian. Why won't you talk to me?" He said, "No, no, we don't speak Hungarian. We don't speak Hungarian." Uh, some of these places are just. I mean. I probably I probably didn't understand half what was happening to me at that time, just because I had really so so little experience in countries and with languages. But at this point, I mean, I know you do too. I mean, you've you've picked up pieces of languages everywhere you've gone. But the reality is, is that is a very rare thing for a, a gringo to do. But it it was it to, was I, to, I think it was unconscious. We I don't think we we could have envisioned going to a place. I mean, how, how else would you do it? You, you mean, it's like you can't go to a place 
and not, I mean, the, the, the language is, 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 is part of the package. It seems like you can't. Well, that's what you, that's what, that's what you think and what I thought. And I guess we've always thought, thought that way, but I don't know other gringos who would feel that way. I think a lot of gringos would say, oh, I'm going to go to Bulgaria because it's the cheapest place to live. And I don't give a damn about learning the language. They'll speak English over there. Um, it was just economic reasons or thrill seeking. I mean, learning a language is work. I mean, you got to. You gotta sit down. You gotta memorize the words. You gotta figure out the grammar. You gotta practice the the pronunciation. You gotta learn how to read it. I mean, there's there's quite a bit of work that that goes into it. But the interesting thing is, once you once you've learned a couple of languages, it gets easier to learn learn new ones. I mean, and we're not talking about really mastering them. You don't need to master a language to be able to 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 be able to make introductions, and to ask for things, and to have you know broken conversations with people. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's something you could probably learn. I mean, I mean, and forget about it. If someone's going to South America to tour around, you only have to learn one language, really, unless you're going to Brazil. You just have to learn Spanish. It's so easy. I mean, Europe is a different thing. Languages are going to change every couple of days. But for, for South America? And Spanish is so easy to learn. I mean, it's just... I, I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. But, but they're on this uh, hostel tour... They go on buses, and there really is no reason to learn Spanish. I mean, and there's less and less reason to learn Spanish because all of the Spanish speakers are learning English to make money off the gringos. I, I, I don't, I don't get why so they like, go to South America because if they're gonna be with a contingency of English speakers, they're gonna run into other Australians or New Zealanders or English-speaking Europeans, and they're going from one bus and one hostel. You can do the same thing for a lot, maybe maybe not cheaper, but you can do the same fucking thing in Alaska. Um, and then in Alaska, you, you don't feel bad about the fact that you're you're not learning a culture because you, you can. You're speaking English. You're learning Alaskan culture. But I don't see I don't see what they're yeah, learning well, about fucking South America, other than the fact that they're taking they're taking the either. same fucking photos that but you can see on LonelyPlanet.com. It's true, but these are these are trips that are done out of out of a certain arrogance because these people aren't going there looking for something or looking to change their their life or looking for a new place to stay uh, or looking for a new way of life. They've already decided that the Western way of life is the correct and superior form of life, and that their country is superior, and that's why they're going to return to it. And they, they so their mind for me is already closed. It's very very limited viewpoint that they already have. And it's it's a it's a Western arrogance, whether it's a German Western arrogance or an American one. Everyone has got a return ticket to their home country to get their job and to start and to add this little thing to their resume or to give you know some stories that they can get out of this to their friends or their colleagues or to their boss or whatever it is. It's just this. It's like a medal on the wall. It's like a. It's like it's like a shooting an animal out of a helicopter, and then and then and then and paying a man to gut it and to and to and to uh, and to cut the meat up for you, bringing the meat back and say I shot this thing, and uh, and uh, and you know taking responsibility and hanging on the wall for the rest of your life. I mean, the the hardest the hardest thing I had to do was when with a big fucking gun. When, you when I had to it. explain my 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 three year quote unquote sabbatical, I had to add to my resume that uh, I took a bike trip. I said, at this point, Morlean's going to disown me. He'll never want to speak to me again. I'm just, <laughs> I've, I've added. Why? Because, I mean, I, 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 came, I came back to my, uh, 
my work to recapitalize. And uh, it was uh, it it it, ne- it nearly killed me. But one of the reasons why I think I was I was ready to to starve in Alaska or freeze to death was because um, I could never add that to my resume. I said I'd, I'd rather die than have Morlene uh, ever have to confess to him that I had to put that on my resume. Um, but uh, putting putting what on your resume well, that you worked in Alaska? Well, no, that I I so I had three years basically of my life where I wasn't working in accounting, and you have to say at least what you were doing. So I said, you know, I I cycled across South America. Just I didn't like brag about it, but uh, it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I. I uh, what? What did, did did someone did someone ask you about? Well, that? yeah, and 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 any any time you uh, you interview, they're gonna say, so what have you, what have you been doing the last three years? <laughs> you you haven't been you haven't been working in corporate America. What what have you been doing? So you you have to say what you were doing. Yeah, well, even with truck driving, the, it, pe- people have a real problem with gaps on your resume. Uh, like in truck driving. Because the because of the low caliber of the people, often if you have like a gap where you weren't working, it's like uh, you probably were in prison. I ha- but I had I had that problem before so, um, when I worked for that large uh, accounting operation. Um, I was a little bit older because uh, I'd spent two years in Eastern Europe, Eastern and Central Europe, and they they thought, well, he, maybe he was in jail. And I I told them I said no. Yeah. Well, I, I thought about alternatives to like uh, trying to fill in the gaps. And one of the ones I thought about was being in a coma. <laughs> if you tell them, if you tell them in an interview that you were in a coma for two years, <laughs> I mean, what can they say? I mean, they can't, I don't think they can ask you like, no, you, and, and then, and then, and then because like, of the, the diversity initiative that you, you would get the job. Right. Right. This this guy say, recovered uh, from serious brain damage, and he was in a coma. He's he's our kind of person. Yeah. I mean, I mean, were they asked proof that you were? That's in a coma? better than that's I mean, better than being a Libyan that. refugee. I mean, but the thing is, how how strange is it that someone would consider being in a coma better than having gone on a on a on a wonderful bike trip? God, we want to hire the guy who's been in the coma over the guy who's been on the bike trip. I mean, that's just more legitimate that he was in a coma because he he really wanted to work. He just they uh, don't no no yeah close. no no one knows what a bike trip is. I mean, I think people see uh, the guys. The biggest threat, but the biggest threat, the biggest threat to all these corporations and all this this city life and all these people is people that just opt out and don't want to work or find a way that they don't need to work for a while. And well, even worse is. I mean, to say that, yeah, I made a lot of money and I took some time off, um, they don't even like to hear that. I mean, that's just like an insult. You can't stop working. I mean, that's a, that's a blemish. That's a, that's a black mark. I mean, uh, I mean I, look, at this point, I've, re- I've actually rehabilitated my resume to, a, to, a, to some extent because I think the way they look at it in trucking is you've got to be able to count for the last five years. And uh, I accounted for the last five years by saying, yeah, those other two years where I was a trader, and they'll say, "Oh, can we see your tax returns to prove that you're a trader?" I'm like, "Nah, I'm not showing you my tax returns," and then they don't really believe that that's what you were doing. They they it it just starts getting very um, they're very suspicious. 
And I imagine that all these corporations that are in the cities are the same way. I mean, they're, they're suspicious of why someone with a, an advanced professional degree would not be using it and working. So in, in, in my uh, bank, in, in my background check for uh, the job I have now, they actually contacted the, the doc and they verified that I worked there. What? And then I, I had, no, well, they did. They contacted, they contacted ISIS. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. The, whatever that place was and I uh, shouldn't probably mention it, but, uh, and then, and then, and then, they and then I actually had to? a tax form for, it's a form that, uh, that my skipper sent me and it says, uh, proceeds from, uh, commercial fishing. And I actually, oh, so they wanted to ver so verify. So my, my, my skip, my, my skipper were, sent me, you, you my skipper lying. sent me a tax form for, uh, my fishing proceeds and I, you know, I had to pay taxes on it. Um, and then I submitted that as part of, you know, I never got, I never got anything from the, from, uh, from my skipper about that. I never got any tax thing. I can never find even the, uh, well, Carl, Carl, Carl ID was, Carl was very above board and all that stuff. Um, because Sounds he like can't, if so, you, if so you're, anyway, if you're, if your deckhands didn't have social security numbers and you didn't file, uh, tax returns for them, you couldn't deduct their cruise share salary. Uh, yeah, but you know what's strange? I filled out I filled out all the tax stuff when I got on the boat, but I just never got the uh, I never got a W two or anything. I never got anything. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Maybe they didn't have my my address or something. He had my address. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, it's interesting though that it, what was the impression they thought you were lying about? This experience? No, the 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 background the background check was done by a third party. It was uh it wasn't it wasn't oh, a company and they're they're very thorough. They they uh they check all your education, they do a criminal background, they they want to know where you were every every step of the way. Um and uh yeah, it's uh Is that something that's is that something that's common in a in accounting? Uh yes. Yeah, if you're if you're a licensed CPA, you have to be. Uh, you're you, you have a letter of mark. You have a letter of mark. It means uh, yeah, the mm. kingdom has blessed you. I uh, a lot of the places I lived in my tent, you know, I uh, those weren't permanent addresses. Uh, none none of them were. <laughs> well, it's pretty impressive though that you're able to be employed and and have a CPA after uh, nearly. Uh, torpedoing that by living in a tent working in Alaska. <laughs> it's pretty, it's great recovery. It's great. We, recovery. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're bumping up on two hours. We haven't, we haven't covered anything. I mean, there, if the, if the topic is bike touring, I mean, literally this, well, I think, I think the one thing we're missing is the, 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 the deeper element to bike touring, which is what's missing out of all the blogs. I, I haven't even talked about the, my, my experience of, of the know, Ripio, how, I think this, this the the next podcast has got has got to be you you felt that the you said that the wind was a brother maybe I can say this in the next minute and fifteen seconds was that when I finally got on the Ripio all of the Carretera Astral is, is Ripio my first three days I, I wanted to to not ride on it but then eventually I realized your back and your neck and your your whole body it no longer hurts the Ripio because you're constantly being jarred. You can't get um, 
repeat motion injuries because you're constantly shifting in your bike. It's the healthiest form of cycling possible. Once you get used to the Ripio, you can never go back to the road. The road is just, it's, it's a, it's a fraction of the experience. And, and then, well, I wish, I wish I could, I wish I could say that about the wind. No. Like le- having to lean over at a 45 degree angle into the wind on your bike. I mean, literally you're, you're leaned to the side at a 45 degree angle. I wish I could say that that, that felt good. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Are, are, mean, we, are we going to, are we going to, are we going to cut off scared. after two hours? Uh, yeah, maybe we should. Well, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we start again tomorrow? Uh, and we'll try and, uh, try and get into the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, 